All right. Okay. And so, um, so basically just talking about Pentecost and its relation to the Holy Spirit. That's basically what tonight's uh, message is going to be about. And so nothing too complicated, but I think it'll be a blessing to you because uh, there, there's all kinds of doctrines out there, yeah. all kinds of thoughts about the baptism of the Spirit and things like that. And of course, the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic movement have really corrupted that doctrine. And, and I've heard great men of God use the terminology, and I think I know what they mean, but I think we've got to be careful that we're always scriptural in the way even we explain the events of, of the Bible, or it can be confusing. And, uh, and so that's why I just want to go through this, just so you kind of know our, our philosophy, our take on this doctrine, so you can understand it better. Um, so we'll, we'll look at letter A. Everybody have a handout sheet? All right, I did fill out the ones that uh, were already done. We're going right to number three. <clears throat> we're going to start with letter A under number three. The promise of the Father was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes. And so this is what it was all about. In Luke 24, verse 49, it says, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now, where was this promise given? That's, that's the whole thing. Is this a promise? Now, where in the Old Testament did he say that he was going to pour out his spirit? And, of course, there is a place like that because that's what Jesus is referring to. Amen? Uh, letter B, the outpouring of the spirit was for all flesh under the supervision of Peter. All right, now I want to explain that to you tonight. Peter has a big part of this. Uh, he didn't make it happen. He, did, he couldn't have stopped it from happening. But God used him for a vital, important purpose during this aspect of the baptism of the Spirit and the, the church and the inclusion of the different groups into the church. So we're going to go to Joel chapter 2 and look at this Old Testament uh, passage that is referring to Pentecost, referring to this day in the New Testament where the apostles uh, were baptized with the Holy Ghost and where they were filled and spoke with tongues and 3,000 people got saved we see that in Joel chapter 2, verse number 28. And it says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my Spirit. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. You guys seen that yet? Not yet. Not quite there. The sun shall be turned into darkness, other than the eclipse, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered, for in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. And so here's our Old Testament passage that, that Jesus Christ is referring to. He's saying the promise of the Father. This is the Father giving us the promise. And it happened on that day, on the day of Pentecost, all right? And we'll get more into that in just a little bit. But I want you to understand that Peter was given authority to bring three groups into the church, all right? Uh, Matthew 16, 19, Jesus Christ uh, had a conversation with Peter and he told him something. He said, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. 
Uh, number one, the Jews received the Spirit after Peter preached and were baptized. I'm sorry, that English probably isn't quite right. Uh, after Peter preached and were baptized at Pentecost. And so the Jews, how did the Holy Ghost come to the Jews? They had to repent and they had to be baptized. Uh, the gift of the Spirit didn't come upon them until after their baptism. That's the way God chose to operate within the Jewish economy at that time uh, because they had already had truth. They've already been given uh, direction. In Acts 2.5 it says, And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Now why were they there? Well, they were there because of Exodus chapter 23 where it says three times in a year your males shall go to Jerusalem and they will go there and they'll, they'll observe these feasts. And guess what? The day of Pentecost was one of those feasts. And so all the Jews from, from the whole world that were obedient to the Lord anyways on that specific time went to Jerusalem. Now that's uh, kind of convenient convenient for them to be saved and go back where they came from to bring the gospel to their people. Amen. Amen. That's what it was all about. Acts 2.38, it says, And then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so this is not, now, nowadays you see groups out there, churches that say, Oh yeah, you got to be baptized and you'll receive the Holy Ghost. That, the book of Acts is historical narrative. It's not a book of doctrine that needs to be repeated. And that's one of the great errors of the, of the mo many churches today. They think that they have to repeat what the book of Acts is talking about. The book of Acts is a bridge from the Gospels to the Epistles. Uh, for us today as a local New Testament church, our doctrine is taken from the Pauline Epistles and the general epistles, but not from the book of Acts. Not to say that you can't go to the book of Acts and learn some things. We've learned some things about methodology. We've learned that they that gladly received his word were baptized. So they had to receive it before they got baptized, and they were added unto them. So now we know that church membership happened after baptism, and salvation happened before baptism. And so whenever someone comes to you and they weren't saved, yet they were baptized, you say, well, get saved, and then we'll baptize you. Because you don't get saved, baptized before you're saved. <laughs> Amen. And so, um, and so he said, repent and be baptized. And another phrase there, it says, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. So now the word for in the scripture can be used to give you two different uh, focuses here. Now either I can, it, and I use the example, and I've heard this before from many preachers, of uh, you know when, when they had a wanted poster they would say, Jesse James wanted for murder. Now, does he want, do you want Jesse James because you want him to go kill somebody? Or do you want Jesse James because of the murder he's already committed? Yeah. <laughs> so those are the two senses that the word for can be used in. Either I'm baptized for, that means to get my sins remitted, or I'm being baptized because of the sins that have already been remitted. Yeah. All right? And so that's where you've got to be a Bible student. You've got to look at context and the whole of Scripture. You're not going to let that word throw you off with all the other thousands of verses that clearly tell you you have to be saved before being baptized. Amen? And so 
uh, for the remission, because of the remission of sins, that's why I want you to be baptized. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an answer. It's a response to your salvation to want to show that in water baptism to the people of the church. And it's a part of religion. It's not a part of salvation. Religion is this way. Salvation is this way. Amen. And so baptism, that's this way. It's not, God doesn't need to go in water to save you. It doesn't, he's not saying, oh, get in the water, I can't save you. I mean, <laughs> what's so great about the water? The water is the, the picture or the testimony to the people. You're testifying that I agree with the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. I personally have been placed into Christ, and I've been risen again. That's another picture of the gospel. And also that, I tell people, you know, um, the people, when they see you being baptized, especially if you come from a different type of church, a different teaching or whatever, it, it affirms in their heart and gives them confidence that, hey, they, they believe like we do. They want to identify with the same Christ that we're teaching here. Because I believe that our doctrine, our Lord, is reflected by our teaching, and our baptism is based upon our doctrine. And so when the doctrine's all out of whack, we can't take the baptism. Yeah. Because one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Uh, and, mo- and, and mostly that doctrine will revolve around the gospel. So for me, it's pretty simple. If someone comes to me and the church that baptized them, even if it was immersion, taught you could lose your salvation, uh, somehow messed with the gospel message, I'd say, hey, I'm sorry, they, they've, they've wandered away from the path. They have no authority. Uh, not just anybody can just baptize anybody. Amen. You have to have the authority of Christ to do that. And I always tell people, it's like when you go to, your boss sends you on an errand. And as long as you're driving the direction he told you to go and buying what he wanted you to buy, you're under complete authority of your boss to do what you want to do. But the moment you take that right turn and say, well, I'm going to go do what I want to do right now, you just left the authority at that turn off. Yeah. <laughs> you understand? And that's the same thing it is with a local church. You cannot claim the authority of Christ doing something different than what Jesus asked you to do. There's no authority there, all right? And so when people are like that, the baptism is a statement of that authority. I baptize you in the name of. The The word name is referring to character, but it's also referring to authority. Stop in the name of the law. It's the authority of the law. And so the name of God is reflected and, and, and is expressed through what we do. And so if we're not expressing him properly in our actions, in our, in, even in our pictures, in our, in our uh, communion, whatever it may be, we have no authority. You understand? And that's why when uh, uh, Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire upon the altar of incense, the Lord smote them dead. And this is what he said. He says, because they failed to sanctify me. Mm-hmm. Do you understand that? Do you understand the Lord will always sanctify himself through you, whether you want it or not? Yeah. See, with Moses, Moses could have sanctified him not by not smiting that rock, by just speaking to the rock. But because he disobeyed the Lord and left off of the authority, the Lord says, well, now it's left up to me to sanctify me through you. Yeah. So now I have to, through judgment, I have to bring the honor back to me in this particular situation. And that's why he said, you can't go into the promised land. And so whenever we fail to sanctify the Lord, the Lord says, well, then I have to sanctify myself through you in the aspect of judgment. 
because it's not going to fall back on God how lackadaisical he was in dealing with his people. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> he's always going to get glory. So when you fail to do what he's asked you to do, he will get glory on you. But he'll get it through discipline and chastisement and judgment. Yeah. You see. And so that's why it's very important that we do things the right way. <laughs> you know. And so, so anyways, just talking about the authority of baptism and so forth, it's very important. It says, For the promises unto you and to your children and to that, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call... And with other, many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this unto word generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And so if a person can gladly receive the gospel and be saved, then they can be baptized. I don't see in Scripture any reason to not allow someone to be baptized if they are convinced of their salvation, <laughs> all right? Yeah. But it's not, I don't think it's quite right for us to hold that back. I also don't think that you push them, Amen. whether it be a child or even an adult. Uh, you know, I never do that here for baptism. I, if the Holy Spirit's not going to get a hold of your heart to do the right thing, then you're just going to continue to flounder, you know? I'll never push someone to be a member of this church. <laughs> that just causes problems, <laughs> Amen. They gotta, it's got to be a, a working of the Holy Spirit of God in their heart. It's not because the pastor made me do this. I don't do stuff like that. I want God to be the, the, the king of your life. And you need to follow his prompting, whatever he wants you to do, and follow that, you know. I always tell people, they say, well, I'd like to come to your church. I say, well, all I want for you is the will of God, you know. See, I've, gone, I've been in the ministry long enough to know just getting people isn't the answer. You know what I found out is getting the right people is the answer. Amen. <laughs> That's the answer. And so I'd rather have 10 right people than 100, 100 that are wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so that's got to be of God's plan. And that's where you have to seek your own heart and say, okay, what does God want me to do? And now you know you're walking with God because you're following what he wants you to do. Amen. And that's a great way to live the Christian life. Amen. All right. So they like gladly received his word. Uh, so that was the Jews. The Jews received the spirit of God by being saved, receiving the message of the Messiah. Very simple. They didn't need any instruction about where man came from. They didn't need any instruction how bad people were. Uh, they knew that people were sinners. They've been dealing with the atonement since the Old Testament. They've seen the death played out before them a million times. They've seen the blood of the animals pour out on the ground. All they had to do was turn their heart to Jesus and say, you are that one that all these things are picturing. Yeah. I trust you. And that was so easy. It's different than the Apostle Paul, who on Mars Hill had to explain to them, guess what? We're all made by God. We're all of one blood. See, they didn't need all that foundation preached to them. All they needed was the message of Jesus, the Messiah. Yeah. It's different when you go to a different community that doesn't have a biblical basis, yes. <laughs> you know? And so sometimes people in ministry will go to an area that has a strong Bible basis. And basically your message is, is much easier to get across. But you can go to some communities, there's not a strong. In fact, they don't even know Adam from Eve, you know. And you got to start from square number one. Well, guess what? God made heaven and earth. You didn't come from a monkey, yeah. you know. 
and how God created the world and all these things. You've got to give them that, you know, so you don't just go to the door and say, oh, you just pray this prayer. Well, then you know what the, who they're praying to. And so you've got you to know whether your area, is it a Mars Hill area or is it a Jerusalem area? Amen. Those are two different mentalities uh, that you deal with. So number two, the Samaritans received the spirit after Peter laid hands on them. So in Acts 8 verse 14, it says, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, so what took place here? In Jerusalem, they had this great 3,000 people got saved. The next chapter of Acts, you see 4,000 more get added to this huge Jerusalem church. Uh, How they functioned, I don't know, but they had to get on people to help. They had to get on deacons to help wait on tables and deal with people and problems and so forth. But guess what happened? Persecution happened. And when that took place, they scattered. Amen? And one of those people that scattered was Philip the Evangelist. And Philip went to Samaria, the very place that Jesus in John chapter 4 spoke to the woman at the well. And if you read that chapter and you read down to the end, it talks about how that one builds upon the work of another. So he's given us a principle there of what was going to happen here in the book of Acts. Jesus prophesied it. Isn't that great? So the Gospels are connected to the book of Acts. And so Philip goes there. He preaches. Guess what? Jesus already planted the seed. It was already dealt with somewhat with the Samaritan people. And you know what? They gladly received it. So it goes on to say here, um, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. Were they saved? Of course they were saved. Were the disciples saved before the Holy Ghost came on the day of Pentecost? Of course they were saved. Because you're not saved by the Holy Spirit. You're saved by Jesus Christ and your faith in him. Amen? Now we'll get into that in a little bit here. It says, For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. So what's Peter doing? Pentecost, first key. Click to the Jews. Samaritans, second key. Click Now the Samaritans are brought into the economy. Amen? So he's got the keys to the kingdom. Number three, the Gentiles received the Spirit after they heard and believed Peter's message of the gospel. In Acts 10, verse 44, and I could read the whole chapter. It's a very exciting thing, even looking at the vision of the sheet coming down from heaven, and it's all in relation to this. But i got to make this quick. And so Acts 10, 44, it says, While Peter yet spake these words, The Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. This is Cornelius, that Italian general. This is not a Jew. This is not a Gentile or not a Samaritan. This is a Gentile, you know, the first time. And that's why even Peter, you know, it's not lawful for me to come into your house today. He's still kind of like, I don't know if I want to be here. But yet the Lord told him to go because you shouldn't call them unclean if I call them clean. And so he went in there. He preached the gospel. And it's different this time. They didn't get baptized. They didn't have their hands laid on them. While he yet spake the words, the Holy Ghost came upon them. See, God's changing his methodology as as the scriptures progress here in the book of Acts. 
So today, people will go back to how the Holy Spirit operated with the Jews. I'm sorry, that's not how he operates among the Gentile world. Uh, Lay hands on them to receive the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, that's not the way that God operates in this Gentile world. He operates by you hearing the word and the Spirit of God comes in. That's what happens. We see that right there in Acts chapter 10. And this was a big deal. In fact, there was more uh, verses given to this account than the other ones. Because this was such an incredible thing that took place here. Because with the vision coming down from heaven, the calling of Cornelius to come to my house, he goes there and preaches, they all get saved. Then all the Jews that were there, they're just like, what's going on here? Why? Because Cornelius and his family began to speak with tongues, languages, which was a sign given to the Jews, unbelieving Jews, by the way. Every time tongues are used, there's unbelieving Jews present. It's not for churches. It's not for the gibberish that's going on today. It had a purpose. The Greeks require wisdom. The Jews require a sign. They're always asking for sign. What sign givest thou us? You know, none but the sign of Jonas, you know, in three, three days and three nights. And so they always required a sign. And so in this aspect, when they're bringing in these different groups into the church, which began with the Jews, the Lord had to convince them to receive them. And so what happened is when they got saved, they began to speak with tongues. And he mentions that. He says, just like on the day of Pentecost. Yes and associates that day with what happened with Cornelius. And he says, who can forbid these men be baptized, who received the Holy Ghost as we did? Mm-hmm. They were convinced in that conversation in that time that these men had received the Spirit of God, evidenced by the, the speaking of tongues. And so, uh, and, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. All right, And so there, it's important just to understand this concept in the book of Acts. So you don't go to the book of Acts and looking to repeat that. Some people say, hey, did you, have you had an upper room experience? Well, you didn't either. Nobody has here. (laughs) The only ones that did were those 120 that were up on that day, up in that room, and the Holy Ghost came because if you had an upper room experience, then you would have seen a flame of fire on your head, and you didn't. Some of them probably say they did. They didn't, <laughs> because the baptism of the Holy Spirit was a one-time event. Mm-hmm. It was a one-time event, all right? And so we'll, we'll go a little bit more into this. Let her see. The Holy Spirit would be given in the last days. Joel wrote it would happen afterwards. Afterwards. That's the word that Joel used in the Old Testament. And shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And so to him, he's saying, this is afterward. Peter defined afterward to mean last days. Uh, And so you see that in Acts 2, verse 16. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And so there you see it in Joel. He says afterward, Peter, as he's preaching in the New Testament, defines that for us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to mean the last days. Now that's important because you want to define these last days, all right? And so we're going to move on here. Number three, the characteristics of the last days. Letter A, 
God's word will come directly through his son, Jesus Christ. You know the last days are here when God speaks through his son. And yeah. Hebrews 1.1, it says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, yeah. whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Yeah. And so we know that when Jesus started to speak the word of God to people, that was the beginning of the last days. So are we in the last days? Yeah. Well, absolutely we are. And so uh, the second one is letter B, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all men. And we looked at that already in Acts 2.17. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we know that's already happened. We're in the last days. Letter C, there will be scoffing concerning Jesus Christ in the last days. 2 Peter 3.3 says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now you say, these people must be wicked. I'm saying the people that are living today are even more wicked because at least these people uh, acknowledge that there was a creation. But today, people are saying, where's the promise of his coming? We've all, we all came from the Big Bang. <laughs> There's no creation. They don't even believe in creation. They have already convinced the world that nothing was created. That's the day we live in. It's only been like that for a hundred and some years that the world has been convinced that there is no creation. In the 1800s, and it was, it was actually revealed uh, through the Baptist world, actually, with, with Charles Spurgeon. And, and the regular Baptists and the particular Baptists, what happened is the, 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 uh, the, the, apostasy, the apostasy crept in to, to the regular Baptist group. And they started to accept a lot of these writings from the Germans, the German scholars. And they began casting doubt upon Noah's Ark and Noah's and the flood and all these things and the scripture and hell and all these different things. And so these regular Baptists began to uh, receive this. Now, the regular Baptists weren't studious, not like the particular Baptists. <laughs> See, Spurgeon was a particular Baptist. See, these two groups were the main groups at that time. Now, I think both of them had some problems. But it didn't take long after the 1800s, after Spurgeon, the third group emerged. And this was a group that was balanced between the two. The particular were more Calvinistic. And that's why today, if you'll talk to Germans, people come from Germany, and you say you're a Baptist, they'll say you're either Arminianist or you're Calvinist. And you'll say, I'm neither of them, and they'll be confused, because they think you've got to be one or the other. An Arminianist is you lose your salvation. Uh, Calvinist is, well, you don't choose your salvation. It's chosen for you, you see. But there was independent Baptists that came out of the middle of that. And that's what we're a part of today, you see. And so it was during that time that Charles Spurgeon fought tooth and nail. In fact, they said it killed him. It was called the downgrade controversy. And uh, his son said, that controversy killed my father. That going through the attack of these, these uh, apostates within the Baptist world, that, was, that killed my dad. Yeah. You know, and it, and it did. And I did a study on that. That was a part of my paper I did in my master's class as well on Spurgeon. And it's just amazing what, what he had to go through. I mean, his health just degraded. 
And they say, well, he battled with depression. Well, you'd be too if everybody turned against you. That's supposed to be your friend, amen? And so he stood. That's why he had that, that, uh, that newsletter or the little booklet or um, the publication, the, the Sword and the Trowel. And he used that to put out there the truth against this apostasy that was coming in the 1800s on the heels of Darwinism, on the heels of all these false teachings that were breaking through in the 1800s because of higher criticism, because of people began to criticize the text and not believing it was perfect anymore. That's where it all began, my friend. That's why any church you look at today that doubts the the, the perfectness of the Word of God is already on its way down. Yeah. Already on its way down. The only way we're going to continue to move forward and up is if we keep holding to the true word of God. And don't listen to these guys that are just saying, oh, well, a better version. (laughs) What in the world are you talking about? Would you write one? Do you know how to do that? Well, they say, no, then shut your mouth, man. You don't know anything about it. You don't know anything about it. God has given us this book for 400 years. We've had this thing in our hand. And not once have they ever had a problem with it until we got too smart for God. Yeah, amen. Amen. And guess what? When we started getting too smart for God, all of a sudden, everything went down. Yes. Downgrade controversy. Doctrines, churches were closing. No more soul winning. All of that stuff is out the door. Amen. I'll tell you something, we want to keep things going right. You've got to believe we've got the Word of God in our hand. Yeah. And that's the way to do it. But there's scoffers, and we have them coming through here all the time. They scoff, scoff. Well, you keep scoffing because I would rather meet God based upon my faith than meet Him on my intellect. Yeah. If you're confident enough to meet God on your intellect, Lord help you. <laughs> you know, His ways are not our ways, and His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are way above our ways. Amen? So all we can do is by faith accept what this great God who is far above us has said. And if you don't understand it, it's your problem, not his. He's not the one at fault here. It's you. Amen? He promised he'd preserve his word. You can't begin to doubt him. But that's what the devil always wants to do is use Christians that aren't right with God to attack God himself. And we don't want none of that around here. Amen? Yeah. All right. The Bible also says there will be perilous times in the last days. 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, dangerous times. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Aren't we living in an age like that today? unthankful, unholy, no gratefulness, no gratefulness, just offended at everything, not grateful for what they have, everything is owed to them, oh, you owe me this, you owe me that, and if I don't get it, I'm going to sit here with my thumb in my mouth for the next year. I mean, that's kind of people (laughs) that are living today. It says, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good. Who's the ones that are good today? Not the ones that hold the moral values of God. Oh, no, we have our own value system. The ones that accept all these different things that are going on in the world. They're the good ones. I'll tell you, the Bible's already nailed these people. Despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Be careful of this. Hey, that, that God, goddess Ashtaroth, that they would worship in the groves in the Old Testament was a pleasure God. I like what Brother Jordan said at the men's retreat. He was saying that uh, there was Baal and Ashtaroth. 
Baal was a god of, of producing and give me this and I want my crops to be good. And Ashroth was the goddess of pleasure and the weekend. So Baal is the god of the week. Asheroth is the god of the weekend. <laughs> That's the way we operate today, even within the church. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm going to make money. I can't go to church and do the things of God. No, you're just following Baal. Oh, well, you've got to have some fun on the weekend. got to miss church a thousand times. <laughs> Asheroth. Yeah. Ooh. I tell you, that hits. Amen. We got to be careful that our God is our God all week long. Yes. In our jobs, in our weekends. We don't turn him off when it comes to Friday night. He's our God of the weekend. Is he God of your weekend? Is he God of your Saturday and your Sunday and your Monday? Oh, I tell you something. Many times Christians, they, they start worshiping Ashtaroth on Sunday. They'll worship her instead. Wow. That's not a popular preaching subject, is it? <laughs> it's appropriate, but it's not popular. Letter E, the last days include the tribulation period. Yeah. Remember in Joel, it talked about the, the, the signs in the skies. In Acts 2, Peter says as well in verse 19, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day of the Lord come. And so there we have the tribulation days also involved in the last days. And also in the last days, letter F, Jesus Christ will return to establish his kingdom. In Isaiah 2.2, 2, And it shall come to pass in the, in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. So that's quite a span of time here. We've got all the way from where Jesus started giving us the words of God on earth to the time where Jesus Christ sets up his kingdom and the nations flow into it. That's the period of the last days. Micah 4 verse 1, But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains and it shall be exalted above all the hills and people shall flow unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of God, the God of Jacob and he will teach us of his ways and we will walk in his paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So that's going to be the center of Bible teaching on earth. Yeah. Amen. People will be going to Jerusalem and say, hey, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord because he's going to teach us his ways. Wow. Imagine Gentiles today saying, hey, let's go to the mountain of the Lord and, and follow what Jesus wants us to know. Oh, man, you try to tell them about Jesus today, they want to kill you. Yeah. There's going to be a day the whole world will say, hey, let's go to talk to Jesus. Let's get something from Jesus. And the Jews will be their friend. They're going to be, oper they're going to be living in that, that, that Israel. That's not a place for us. That's going to be Jewish people. Amen. Letter D, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost was an event called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Now, number one, Old Testament saints were empowered as the Spirit temporarily came upon them. And we see this, I don't want to spend too much time here, but even Balaam, Balaam was a, <laughs> I mean, he was a cad, man, in Numbers 24 too. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him. 
So it had nothing to do with how good Balaam was. It just had to do about God using this person for his purpose. Yeah. Another example is Samson. Samson was as carnal as all get out, you know. But when it came down to it, God put his spirit upon him to use him to do his work while he was down there. Yeah. Amen. So the spirit of God would come and, dwell, and just come upon them and then come off of them. You see it over and over. Gideon, it talks about uh, how the Spirit of God come upon him. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew the trumpet, and Ebezer was gathered after him. Uh, number two, John the Baptist testified that Jesus would baptize with the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So John 1.32, and John bare record saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him, and I knew him not, but he that sent me the Father, to baptize with the water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. So the Spirit of God comes, no more temporary on and off, but the Spirit came upon him and stays. Amen. That's a first from all the Old Testament. That was truly a different uh, thing that took place there. Because throughout the whole Old Testament, he came down, he left. But God made an important point, he says, and remaining on him. Now there's something pointing towards the future in the dispensation of the church. And so, and I saw on bare record that this is the Son of God. Amen. Number three, Jesus prophesied the baptism of the Spirit. Acts 1-4, before he ascended into heaven. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Ten days to be exact, because he ascended on the 40th day. Ten days would equal 50. 50 was the Feast of Pentecost. Amen. And that's when the Holy Ghost came. So it was coming whether they liked it or not. This is a a predetermined time. It was not brought down by the prayers of the apostles. It wasn't brought down by the apostles. So when people say, you go to the upper room and you bring the Holy Spirit down, I'm sorry, it was not their choice. There is something their prayer did, though, and we'll talk about that. It says in John 16, 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So who's the baptizer? Not John. Jesus. And by the way, it's not the Holy Spirit baptism. Because Jesus is baptizing here. Not the Holy Spirit. Jesus is baptizing his church, his body, with the Holy Spirit of God. All right? That's what's called the baptism of the Holy Ghost. All right? Uh, The disciples, number four, were already indwelt by the Spirit before Pentecost. Now, this is something you need to understand. It will separate to you what Pentecost was. Pentecost wasn't the Holy Spirit coming to indwell indwell the the people that were saved. I'll show you this in John 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. This is before his ascension, before the baptism. So they already had the Holy Spirit of God. 
So what that does is tell you that the indwelling of the Spirit is different than the empowering of the Spirit. Okay? And it it also tells you that the Holy Ghost didn't all of a sudden show up to earth that day. He had already been there. (laughs) But he came there to fulfill that purpose on that day. You see? And so that's important to differentiate that because if you're going to just put it all in one ball, now you got to remember that when you get saved because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God, now when you receive Christ, you're automatically like the, the, uh, the, like uh, Cornelius, the Holy Ghost will come into you. Yeah, that's because he's already working in that method, in that way, you see. All right, number five, after Pentecost, the Holy Spirit baptizes every believer into Christ's body at salvation. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Romans 6, 3, it says, Know ye not that so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. So that's the Holy Spirit baptism. That's, that's when you were placed into Christ at salvation. All right? And so that's not a repeat of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The baptism of the Holy Ghost was a one-time event because that's when Jesus baptized the church. After that, the Holy Ghost himself is now placing every believer into the body of Christ. Yeah. You get understand that? All right, okay? And so, um, number six, the baptism of the Holy Spirit gives every believer the potential to be filled with the Spirit. And so this is the key here, filled. Letter A, to be filled with the Spirit is to have power to witness. So that day the the baptism of the Holy Spirit was going to come. That doesn't mean that every Christian is going to be ready to be used of God. But these 120 were, why? Because they were, they were obedient to the Lord. He said, go to Jerusalem and tarry ye. So they were obeying what Jesus said. They had an obedient heart. They were praying. This is another aspect of being filled with the Spirit of God. They were praying, which means that they were surrendered in their heart to be used of the Lord. So do you think there could be someone in that room that when the Holy Ghost came, that he says, I can't fill you? Sure. Because... The baptism of the Holy Ghost gives you the potential to be filled. But it doesn't mean you're going to be filled. Because if you're filled with something else, he can't fill you with himself. Amen? Acts 1.8 But ye shall receive power. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Notice he's not talking to them about salvation. He's not talking about those kind of things. He's talking about service. That's what Pentecost was about. The empowering of the church to do the witnessing of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. But you have to be filled for that. And it goes on to say in Acts 2 verse 1, when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with, with one accord in one place. So that's the importance of having one mind, one mouth, one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You can't have a divided church and be used of God. 
We've got to maintain the unity within the body. That means if there's sin in the church, you have to deal with it. If you don't, then you're, 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 you're uh, hurting your chances of being used by God to be a witness to the world. So we have to maintain unity, be of one mind. Yeah. You can't just say, oh, whatever doctrine you believe, it's fine. No, that's why we're so strict on that with membership. You've got to believe what we're talking about. We've got to be of one mind here. If you don't have the same mind, well, then what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, I say, get the one mind. Or at least say, Lord, I'm wanting to understand this and be on the journey towards being at one with the church doctrine. Amen? Amen. But it is vital. People say, well, nobody agrees. Nobody. Well, then why would Jesus say that you could? Why would he tell us that you can be of one mind if you can't? He doesn't tell us things we can't do. If he gives you a command, it's because we can do it. So he says, be of one mind, then guess what? All of us here today can be of one mind. And if you are not at one mind with the rest of the church, who's the problem? We say, but you're all wrong. Then what are you doing here? I'll tell you something. If I didn't believe what the church believed, I'd go find one that does. But it's funny how people come in, they got these weird doctrines that they want the whole church to bend down to their doctrine. Or just accept it. Sorry. One mind. Yes. One spirit striving together. One accord, it says there. Amen. Yeah. And it says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. So they were filled. So it's not the baptism that gave them the power. It was the baptism that gave them the potential for the power. And then it was their willingness to be used by God that allowed them to be filled. Yeah. Amen? So we're not praying for the, whole, the baptism. We're praying for the filling. Yes. In fact, the Bible says it's a command, be filled. It doesn't say be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Not once will you find that. That was always incidental to God's plan. The only command was to be filled. All right? Uh, Acts 4, 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Acts 13, 9, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him. He saw this heretic, and he just, Sorry, you're done here, boy. (laughs) Filled with the Spirit of God. Dealing with heresy. Oh, no, be tolerant. Not when you're filled with the Spirit of God. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you've got to deal with heresy. That's what he did. He dealt with them good. <laughs> Amen. This is what he said. And said, Oh, full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He said that filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Yeah. So don't tell me when the preacher gets a little rambunctious in his preaching and starts rebuking and exhorting that somehow he's just not loving and caring. I'm going to tell you something. You don't even know what the filling of the Spirit of God is if you don't understand that some of that stuff needs to be said in the church, in the house of God. Amen. Amen. Paul gave us that example. Letter B, to be filled with the Spirit requires prayer to do the will of Christ. Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Yes, why, did they want the, why did they want the filling of the Spirit? Why did they pray? 
that you can help me to preach the word of God. It wasn't, oh, I want to be filled with the spirit of God. No, it was, I want to be used by you to get the word of God to people. That was the purpose. But in order for that to happen, Lord, I need you to fill me. You have no desire to tell somebody about Jesus. Why are you asking to be filled with the Spirit of God? Because that's why he's going to fill you. And it says, ye shall be witnesses unto me. You don't want to be a witness. Don't expect to be filled. Why would he fill somebody that doesn't want to be used? Amen? All 120 that day in that upper room, God, if you could just use me to tell my people how to be saved. That's what filled them. Amen? In fact, you'll see it throughout the New Testament. The same pattern, being filled and speaking with boldness, being filled and speaking with boldness over and over and over again. To be filled with the Spirit in letter C is to joyfully suffer with Christ. So you've got to suffer for Jesus' sake in the church or uh, for your stand on the job. You're not going to be all disgruntled and mad and angry and, and you know, putting a grievance into the HR and <laughs> whatever else. Acts 13, 51, but they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came unto Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Amen. That means when we lose our joy, there's something wrong with our filling. 1 Peter 3, 14, but and if ye suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So if I'm not happy when I'm suffering for righteousness' sake, it's because the Holy Spirit isn't filling me. Amen? Jesus said that right when he's on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, happy are ye when you suffer for righteousness' sake. He told them right off the start. Letter D, to be filled with the Spirit is to know the love of Christ. Ephesians 3.19 says, And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Yes. No love for God, no love for people. There's no filling of the Spirit of God in your life. That's all you know. To be filled with the Spirit is to not be controlled by anything but Christ. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Yeah, amen. So he's saying, don't you, be, don't you be drunk with wine, wherein that drinking of wine is excess. Is, the word is uh, a word that means unsavedness. It means a wicked lifestyle. So be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. Within that drinking of wine is excess. Yeah. <laughs> it's not saying... Uh, you know, be not drunk with wine, only with moderation. <laughs> That's what pe- I've heard people actually interpret it that way. That is not what the verse means. Yeah. It says, be not drunk with wine, wherein, what's that word mean? Inside of, the drinking of wine is what? Excess. Excess. And if you interpret that by Peter's epistle, you'd see that he talked about that word excess. He says Excess was a characteristic of someone that was lost living in sin. Wherein is excess? (laughs) That way it just takes away all of their little, oh, you mean I can't drink moderately? 
No. <laughs> That's why the example was given with John the Baptist. The Bible says he'll be filled with the Spirit from the mother's womb, and he says he'll never drink wine. Those two things were hand in hand. Yeah. What God was saying is, nothing else will control him but my spirit. Yeah, so you start giving yourself over to something else, some other intoxicant, <laughs> the spirit of God can't control your life. That's why you're so miserable when you do it. Oh, you, well, that's a happy drunk. Well, happy when they're all messed up in their head. But I'll tell you something, you give them a couple hours, see how happy they are. Yeah. I've seen a lot of drunk people in my life. There's always a time where the party is the party, but there's always a time the party's over. Yeah. <laughs> and every last one of them were not happy. <laughs> in fact, the only way they get happy, the Bible t- says in Proverbs, it says, and when they awake, they seek it again. Yeah. I want to be happy again. See, the devil's got them to see that somehow that drink is making them happy. But they don't realize if they take the drink out of there, how miserable they would be. Miserable. They're miserable. (laughs) Letter F, to be filled with the Spirit is to be submitted to the Word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, That's a sister verse to Ephesians 5.18 where it says, Be not drunk with wine when it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Because it says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in Ephesians. Same thing in Colossians. The the trigger for singing spiritual songs in Colossians is being filled with the Word of Christ. The trigger in Ephesians is being filled with the Spirit. So being filled with the Word of Christ and being filled with the Spirit are the same thing. Same thing. That means there's nobody filled with the Spirit that's not filled with the Bible. Amen. I always tell people, like, the amount of the, that the Bible has in your soul is the amount that the Spirit can control you. And the wider boundary you give the Word of God in your soul, the more the Spirit will control you. It's all based on control. It's not a mystical thing. It's very practical. It's based on submission. See, that's why I pointed out when the, uh, the disciples went to Jerusalem, all Jesus said was, go ye to Jerusalem and tarry ye there. Tarry ye. What did they do? Out of obedience. They went and tarried. <laughs> they tarried there. That's what happened. And so they were submitted in their heart to the Lord. They did what the word of Christ was. Holy Spirit of God came. They were praying. They were filled. They spoke with boldness. They were filled with joy in the Holy Ghost. They suffered and they had happiness in the midst of it. All these things were there because they were filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? Amen. That's the problem today, folks. If you're miserable as a Christian, it's not anybody's problem but your own. You've got to submit yourself to the Lord. And that's why when you get a, even the smallest command, you say, oh, what's this? Go to Jerusalem? That's a command? You'd be amazed the small amount of obedience you would have to enact for God to use you. Yeah. But you're bucking at it. Some people buck at it. Because <laughs> it costs you too much. It'll cost you a friend. It'll cost you a job. It'll cost you 
something. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you money. Whatever the thing is, it's something. It costs you something that you're not willing to give. And in that decision of not submitting to that principle, you're saying, God, I don't want to be controlled by you. That's what you're telling him. And one day he'll point that out. You'll see him one day. He says, I couldn't control you because you wouldn't obey me. (laughs) It's that simple. To be filled with the Spirit is to evidence the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So you're not living by your lusts and your inordinate affections of your life. You're keeping them under control. You're, you've crucified them. Ephesians 5.8, it says, for, for ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Yes. Those three things. And so you want, you want the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You want to be filled with the Spirit of God. It's based on goodness. It's based on righteousness, the right way. It's based on the truth. That's how the Holy Spirit controls your life. Amen? Amen. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is is sown in peace of them that make peace. So you're one of these disturbers, one of these troublemakers. You are not filled with the Spirit of God. And I think that's where the Apostle Paul, being filled with the God, where the Spirit of God will look at them and say, Oh, you subtle one, full of mischief, child of the devil. Boy, we don't like that today if preachers start confronting you like that. Oh, you should behave like the Apostle Paul. Okay. <laughs> wow. You know, we show a lot of mercy to people in this church. But don't be surprised if we got to deal with stuff. I'll tell you something. However we've dealt with it, if you would have put the Apostle Paul there, you would have hated him ten times worse. Yeah. Child of the devil. Imagine him calling you that. Or a friend of yours. Or a family member of yours. Oh, how dare you? Well, filled with the Spirit of God. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So is God for confronting sin and evil in the church? And yes, he is. And if we're going to be cowards and not do it, we might as well just close the doors. Yeah. It's not that we should want it. My goodness, I wish we'd never have to. But that's one thing I know. If I'm going to submit to the calling of God in this church... We're going to have to deal face-to-face with the ugliest things of mankind. And we're going to have to bear the brunt of that persecution. 